Hello, and welcome to the Strength to be Human podcast with your host, author and playwright Mark Anthony Rossi. This show explores all forms of creativity for those searching for meaning and a place in the world. To err is human, but so is to love. Now, without further ado, here's your host. Hi, folks, and welcome back to Strength to Be Human. This is your host, uh, poet and playwright, Mark Anthony Rossi. Really happy to have my voice back. I, I feel so much better. So thank you for your well-wishing. I really appreciate that. This is episode 100. Uh, what a real milestone for the show and, and, and definitely uh, for myself and, 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 and for John, uh, who's helped me along the way this year. Thank you very much, John. Um, I wanted to get to this point here to the end of the year and, and to get to episode 100. <laughs> and sometimes it's been a, a, a bit trying, uh, mainly because uh, uh, this, the schedule can be difficult with interviews. Uh, oftentimes, uh, you, if your health, uh, you know, you, you take it for granted. Your, your voice is scratchy or bad on one day. If you're not doing a show like this, it's not a big deal. But when you're already like, oh, we got to go try to do one and try to make something happen. I think I literally recorded the show the other day where my voice was probably like 75% and you can really tell a difference. But thank you nevertheless. Now this will be the last of, of the uh, 2019 year of a classic spotlight. And we're going to be doing O. Henry. O. Henry was a, a, a very uh, well-known, I know when I was growing up, he had a huge uh, influence and, and, and figure in, in literary history, especially in the school system, uh, William Sidney Porter. That, that's what his name was, but it went by uh, O. Henry. Strictly short stories. And when it comes to uh, short stories and, and the influence and what captured my imagination, and particularly after Edgar Allan Poe, what was, was, was O. Henry. I don't know. It, it, to me, it was always like, a, like the antidote to, to Poe or the counterbalance to, to Poe because O. Henry was not only uh, having the, the surprise or the trick endings also, but... He, he wrote a lot about the positive side of, of humanity, about the uh, the people that were maybe downtrodden or maybe the people that needed another chance or maybe just the underdogs and, and, and wanted to see them accomplish something and, and for you to understand more about uh, humanity and what it took, you know, with sacrifice and belief and, and faith and hard work. And he wrote a lot about that. And he had a very interesting life himself. We're going to be certainly talking about that. This will be one of the more fascinating and interesting, uh, I, I find, uh, episodes that were concerns a writer because we're going to be talking about some of the legal aspects of not only uh, him change of his name, uh, some of the things he went to in, in the criminal uh, justice system, uh, even how it touched upon his stories and later in his life. So it's going to be very, uh, I think, very fascinating and it's going to be interesting to dive into it. We haven't really done something like this before, but... I'm only doing it because it's really integral and part and parcel of who this guy was, what he was writing, what was going on. So it's very interesting to hear about, and I'm glad we were able to, to, to do something like this. Now, he's very famous for uh, two big stories. Uh, the first was The Gift of the Magi, which uh, ironically uh, brings us to the Christmas season over here. Uh, even though the show is going to be released on, uh, I believe, the 30th of this year. Well, after Christmas, I'm, of course, recording it before Christmas. So, The Gift of the Magi, a, a really, really deep, 
famous, uh, very touching story without being corny. That's what I liked about O. Henry is he could touch you, heartstrings and all, even being sentimental without like being schlocky and, and, and hallmarky, if that's an actual word. I'm making it up, okay? Hallmarky. <laughs> but um, he could do that without without just just without being corny, and you get and you feel how real it was and authentic. Yeah, that that rings true. Wow, that was deep. That's the kind of guy he was. That's the kind of writing he did. Short to the point. Just and, and oftentimes I feel very elegant and beautiful. That was definitely one of the best short stories that I've ever read in my life. Probably one of the best in terms of something really having a, a strong, loving, and positive spin to it. And of course. During the Christmas season, which is what that occurred on, for for Christmas, that whole story was about. Uh, it's just you you need to check it out, especially um, even if it's after the holidays. Check it out. It's it's an amazing story. You'll be read it free on the internet, and and you really get something from it. We'll talk a little bit about the stories and all that, but I, I never want to reveal things that about the stories. I think that would be wrong to do, and of course, it doesn't really encourage you to go check them out if I'm telling you everything. So I'll, you know, tell you bits and pieces, but in the end, you're going to be able to read it and find out for yourself. Okay. Uh, another one, and, and it is, to this day, it captures uh, my heart and my imagination, The Last Leaf. In many ways, I find even greater human, humane, humanitarian. Yeah, I, I can find all the humans in this one. Uh, strength to be human. <laughs> all of them in there, in, in this story. Uh, it, incredible ending. Um just brilliant. I mean, it's just a brilliant ending. Uh, loving and touching. Uh, definitely uh, something that uh, you you, you want to root for. And, and you can see the power of positive thinking. And the power of reverse psychology. And the power of trying to make somebody grab some faith when they didn't even have any left. And, and just having to find a way to do that. And that's what that person did in that story. It's just a tremendous effort. It really is. Uh, I, I never, I never felt that he got uh, his his true credit in many ways during his time because he just didn't understand what what he was trying to do. And it's just, it's just sad. But he is, a, he is a giant amongst the short story writers to this day, no doubt about it. They even have a a, a literary prize, the O. Henry Prize, named after him. And, and God bless, he deserves it. And anyone who wins that, you know, they're they're in his vein and his spirit. They deserve it as well. So another incredible story, The Last Leaf. Go check that out. You know, one of the wonderful things about telling somebody, go check out this or go check out that, is, is I always found the, the, the fun and excitement of the short story is they're investing only so much time in it. It's not like you're saying, go read this guy's novel and, and spend a couple of weeks. Not that that's not important. It's just that it's quite easy to do <laughs> to uh, read a story that's going to be on the Internet for free. You don't have to worry about it and shorten and get it over with. You know, versus you're going to have to go find some book, go get it ordered, go read it, blah, blah, blah. So you have no excuse, in my, in my opinion, then, to, to not check out his work and, and get yourself familiar with, with the kind of work he did. Now, this wasn't a short fiction man, and, and this definitely wasn't a flash fiction person, okay? He was definitely the classic short story writer in that type of length. We don't do those kind of lengths anymore these days, and... That's too bad. I mean, I still think flash fiction is, is important and powerful in its own right, but it doesn't mean that it's supposed to replace the short story. It should still be out there too, but that's what you got right there. But the great thing about uh, O. Henry when he was writing these these short stories was they had a lot of uh, I felt uh, humor in them. They had a lot of playfulness in them, a lot of heart in them, 
without going off the tracks. He knew where he was going with it. And, and that's what really shows you a bit of his soul. Because it's easy to get fake and schlocky in, in some of these things. You know, bang your point home, wrap it up, and go home and have a sandwich. You know, it's not hard to do if you don't really care. But for him to invest that sort of thing, it just shows you the kind of human being you know, that he was. He, he really seemed to have a keen eye on people and, and a real a, a sort of a romantic sense of he'd want to see people turn the corner when things were bad, that if they believed, if they stuck it through, if they just lasted another minute, that they could make it and, and get through that. You know, he understood that oftentimes you couldn't get to heaven, you know, until you went through hell. You know, but he always felt that, hey, you know, if you could just get through that hell, you're going to get to heaven. I mean, so he had a lot of, a lot of faith in, in, in people, especially during a time in the, you know, late 1800s, early 1900s, when that, that wasn't always the case, you know, with uh, the Dust Bowl going on and the Great Depression and, you know, wars. And, you know, it, it was a time of, of all kinds of uh, transformation and upheaval with cars and planes and machine guns and all kinds of interesting things that were changing people's lives. You know, people were listening to the radio and television was coming on later on. And, you know, they wasn't hitting their clothes on the rock on the stream in the backyard. They were like you know, using an actual, you know, mechanical washing machine and then later an electrical one. So there was a lot of interesting things going on in people's lives. Sometimes it helped make it, make it more convenient for them. Other times just the change was, you know, pretty revolutionary. And you know, you know how it is with change. Sometimes it, it's not always going to be welcome and Sometimes it, it's it, it's rough to, to make a transition from one thing to another. So it's nice to have a guy that still believed in people and still believed in some of the fundamentals of humanity that he felt didn't change regardless of the things that were changing around us, whether they were superficial or whether they were artificial, whether they were political or whether they were just simply a sign of the times. He, he, he stuck with uh, believing in, in, in people. And it's sad to say that it was not a lot of people that always believed in him. And that's that's one thing that sometimes that's a real signature of of writers in general and, and, and of course uh, writers who are uh, of a special note like him in particular. You know, where they, they seem to have more people that uh, write them off. Oh, he's doing it. It just must be too easy if he's doing it. And really, thanks. How, how cocky is that? He's saying he's cocky, you know, being cocky, saying he's cocky. It's easy. Really? If it's so damn easy, why aren't you not doing it? Yeah, mm-hmm. not that easy, is it? So that's the kind of silly enough you hear from people like that, especially in, in, in his day. He he did a lot of newspaper work, um, O'Henry, and uh, a lot of columns. Uh, and he did some social writing as well about things that were going on. It's what I always felt about his writing was, is that even though it had that genteel uh, human spirit in it, it, it had a real social dimension. He just didn't really lay it on as thick as you'd think. But if you think about it later on, especially to get to the Magi and the Last Leaf, and there's a number of other stories, uh, they have a real they have a real social compunction about reminding people about, you know, sticking to their guns and believing in each other, you know, and and, and understanding that um, even when you do right, it doesn't mean that always things are going to go your way, and you have to still stick through things until until they do. And uh, I think those uh, values is what not only would build America, it's really what helped him become the kind of writer that he was. Now, O. Henry was, and I, and I mean this, he was strictly a short 
story writer. I mean, other than a columnist, sure, he did, the, you know, his essay columns and everything, but, you know, he, he didn't do very much poetry, and I think he did, like, one novel, but he wasn't a novelist. He never considered him a That's always known as for short stories because that's all he really cared about. That, that's really where he found his strength at, where he found his own humanity at, and, and where he was able to help us find some of our humanity. And that's what he did. It that was his vehicle, and, and that's really where he was a master at. And it's not a, it's not really a, an exaggeration to call uh, O. Henry a master because he he, he truly was. He, he he mastered that type of a genre, the the short story, and and the type of, I guess you could say, uh, uh, flavor or or a theme, if you want to put it, that he came up with that that that, that human spirit, human interest type story. And it was he was simply uh, above all else in doing that, and I think only because it's really what he was about, and, and he was so genuine in it, and it just rang true in his stories, rang true in your own life, and, and it rang true that you come away believing a little bit something better about the world, maybe even something better about yourself, maybe something better about your neighbor, even if he's out there throwing up on the lawn or, or peeing on your on your shrubs, you know. Maybe he's not a bad guy after all. After he stops peeing on my plants, maybe he's all right. I mean, that's what you get when you when you when you read O. Henry, and and I and that's really what I I find him is to be a you know a powerful a powerful writer and a powerful character in in our own tool belt of of writing that we have people we can help draw upon. Sometimes you can run into bad days. Sometimes you can run in bad writing days where it's like maybe I need to go read back or master. Not to copy the guy, not not, not even to, uh, you know, uh, wonder about where he was coming from, but just to, to instill yourself back into a little bit of spirit that you might have lost along the way. We can do that at times, sometimes. And if we can't get those those special proverbs from the Bible, or if we can't get it from a from a loving relative, or we can't get it from a, you know, an old radio broadcast, uh, you might get it from a, an old Henry story, something that just kind of knocks you out of that gloom and, and back into, uh, you know, into into your room so that you can get down to finishing your own task and not losing yourself in, you know, oh, woe is me or oh, woe is this or oh, woe is that. And you can drop the woe and get on what you need to be doing. And that guy will help you do that. I'm serious. So definitely consider looking into O. Henry. Now let's talk a little bit about some of his personal life, okay? Oh, Henry, uh, strangely enough, unlike a lot of writers who, who had a very modest background, Oh, Henry didn't have a modest background. He came from a pretty solid middle-class family. And incredibly enough, uh, oh, oh, Henry was a pharmacist, but he decided to not really make his living from that. For whatever, I don't know, he had just a, a strange wandering spirit about things. So, oh, Henry wound up doing many jobs. He was a newspaper columnist for a while. Uh, at another point in his life, he actually owned a newspaper. Um, he did the pharmacy work uh, for a while, gave that up, and then wound up working at a, at a bank. He, he married a woman that he loved. Uh, incredibly enough, uh, just like Poe and many other people uh, back then, he had to deal with a relative who he loved who had tuberculosis. It's just an incredible disease. When you read about it, and you're like, we take so much for granted in a modern society. I mean, right now you can cure tuberculosis even if you have it with like less than six months of Cipro, which is one of the most powerful antibiotics on the market. 
Cipro will cure tuberculosis. It will also clear leprosy. These are two of the most ancient diseases that were affecting people over the last couple thousand years. And we literally have a, a drug in just about every corner of, of the United States in a pharmacy that would literally clear that up and take care of it. So um, we forget sometimes where, uh, where medicine can bring us and, and where, uh, where the simplest diseases that we could take care of now was ravaging people. And tuberculosis is one of the biggest ones. Uh, it's a lung disease. Oftentimes when you contract it because it was contagious, you had maybe five, seven, possibly ten years. And be, you know, but of course, while you're going through it, you know, you're coughing up blood. You have, you're having bouts of you know, fainting. You're, you're exhausted a lot of the times. You know, it's, it's just a slow killer. And, and you die in your own blood, drowning in it in your lungs. So as you can imagine, that's nothing very poetic about it. It's, it's the grounds for the Mask of the Red Death from Edgar Allan Poe. That's what he was talking about. He saw it already. He saw it in a few people in his lives. Um, oh, Henry only had his wife. Oh, Henry married this woman. He loved her even with the understanding that she had the disease. So it wasn't like it came on later on. Hey, what's this? He loved her. He married her anyway with the understanding he had it. I don't know if he was believing one day it could be cured. He got me. Doesn't really mention about it. But he had it. He married her. Uh, her parents were actually wealthy, unlike his. This is sort of middle class. He wasn't poor, but they were actually wealthy. And they uh, pretty much hated him. Even though it wasn't like anyone else was going to marry that woman. In that society, oh my God, you have consumption. That's what they called it because it would just consume you. So they call that disease consumption. So it wasn't like she was going to get married by anybody in the high class. All the rich people. And it's too bad because we all want the money and everything. There's nothing you could do back then. They just didn't have any way to really to deal with that. Very rudimentary things. As time went by, it didn't do anything anymore until you just simply died. So he dealt with a sick wife a lot. I don't know why he didn't stay as a pharmacist. It's ironic, but I don't know if he gave his faith in it or gave up in it. But he went to work in a bank. Now, he's a new guy in the bank, but, you know, he's an educated man. So it's not like he don't know how to, you know, handle handle some money. So he worked in this bank where the, they were kind of like, careless and, and and pretty much fast and free on, on how the money was was accessed um he got accused later on after he was working there for a while for embezzlement of about eight hundred dollars i don't know why but he gets accused of this the bank manager is, is somebody that's completely connected they never really investigate this guy i mean look at anybody else at all has to be him. He gets sentenced. He doesn't even defend himself. Rumors is that, you know, he wanted to make sure that nobody was going to retaliate against his wife because she still needed care and didn't want to have a, a bad name and all that stuff. So he kept a hush-hush, got a quick child, got out of there and, and wound up being sentenced to Ohio State Penitentiary. Incredibly enough. Again, the rumor is when he started doing his short stories, which were in prison, O. Henry actually came from Ohio Penitentiary. That, that's really what it meant. Because that's when he started using his name. So it's not a coincidence. Whether that's what O. Henry meant or not, nobody really knows. That's the guess that people people have. 
it seems practical and logical to think that way. So I don't have a problem believing that's the case. Uh, do I know it's gospel? I don't, but it, it seems very likely. Now, I don't like the fact that he didn't defend himself, but I understand what he was trying to think about his wife. That can make some sense. But unfortunately, before he got put in prison, he wound up leaving the area for a while. Left his wife, even though she's very sick. Went to Central America for a while with a couple of his friends. Believing somehow he could put together the fence and come back, but he never did so. And when he found out his wife was dying, you know, literally on her deathbed, he came back. They let him see her for a while until she died. And then they finished up his sentences and put him in, in Ohio State Penitentiary. Ohio figured out, hey, this guy's a pharmacist. What the heck? He's just not some some bum who robbed the bank. <laughs> he he's, a, he's an educated doctor. So guess what? They make him the pharmacist for the prison. So when the Sidney Portney becomes O. Henry, he writes the, the bulk of, of his short stories that become famous and get him famous. He's literally sending them out after he's typing them in prison to get published all over the place. He's known as O. Henry. Everybody likes him. He spends three years there. And this is not an exaggeration. This is not a this is not a story I'm telling you. This is the God's honest truth. O. Henry never spent a night in jail. He just spent three years in prison. Because what the prison officials did was, we can't afford to lose this guy. We can't afford this guy to get raped or murdered or stabbed to death or something. Uh, we certainly can't have him beat up by everybody. So what we're going to do is this. We're going to give him his own room in the ward, the medical ward, and that's where he's going to stay. He'll he'll help with the medical procedures and help, he'll help do the pharmacy stuff. That's what he did. Semi-doctor, full-time pharmacist, three years, never spent a night in a prison cell. He was only in a small room in the, in the medical wing of that, of that prison where he had plenty of time to do all his writing, helped his prisoners out, I think they actually paid him a small mental salary to do it as well. Because, you know, you do get a couple bucks when you work things in jail. But, you know, they gave him some money. Now, here's the ironic, interesting, strange things about his case, okay? I'm not going to tell you if this guy was innocent or guilty or not. Because I don't know. But I'll tell you the facts about what happened then. And I'll tell you about what, you know, how we would view it and how we would proceed now. And then you can make your own mind up about what you might think. We can all say in the end we don't care about a writer's character or whether they were guilty of something or not, whether they're a criminal or not. We only love the writing, and that's all true. But we're people too, and you have to always wonder, what the heck was going on with this guy? This is very unusual. And it was. All right? Uh, the uh, bank manager, gambling problem. Pretty much an alcoholic. Politically connected, knew everybody. Uh, according to um, the police report, even though they never interviewed anybody else, they made it really clear in the police report that at least six people in that bank had access to his money. On a modern day, the worst lawyer in the world could say, listen, Yana, how the hell are you going to charge my, my client when there's five other people that haven't been interviewed yet that had access to that money? Any one of them could have stole the money and not my client. That's what I would have said if I was his lawyer. In fact, he knew this and just never even put his own defense up. To run away, to not put his own defense up, it certainly makes him look guilty. And I can see why people back there would have said, oh, the heck that. 
He's just uh, he might have been a writer and a pharmacist, but he was also uh, a thief and and, and and a bad person. And it's hard uh, hard to defend some of that kind of behavior. But the facts still remained. The police never investigated or questioned anybody else, even though they knew they knew already that there was more than one person that had access to the money. The prosecutor figured it was a, it was an open and shut case, but he didn't want to investigate anybody either. And he didn't want to get his friend, who was the bank manager, in trouble. So I, I honestly think he just gave the guy the most lenient sentence. Because back then, for what would have been considered embezzlement, and not bank robbery necessarily, he should have got over 10 years. He could have got 15 years for that. $800 is a lot of money back then. It was a major crime. Major felony. They give the guy three years. And, and, and he gets uh, you know a cushy job. So... You have to wonder how much of that was a setup, how much was that, you know, true or not. It's just there's 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 a whole lot of uh, reasonable doubt there, and that's what our whole system is based on here in America. So, have I came up with uh, my own conclusion? Was this guy guilty or not? No, actually, I still haven't. The facts show uh, that because we have a legal system on whether you're either. Guilty or not guilty, and not about innocent or, 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 or guilty. You know, right now there's enough facts to say that you know he he's not guilty. That's that's not the same thing as whether he really did it or not. You know, he could have did it. The behavior, of course, really wasn't a normal person kind of behavior. You know, but ironically, and that's what I I, I always find is an additional piece of evidence. Where the hell did the eight hundred dollars go? He wasn't in any debt. His wife's family had money. If they ever had any issues at all, they could help bail him out if they ever needed any money. Plus, the guy was always working. If he's not working at, at, at the grocery store, he's working at the newspaper, or he was a writer as a columnist, he was making money from, a, from, from some of his other short stories before he went to prison. He was making money as a pharmacist. He was making money in the bank. The guy was always working. He was never, never, uh, never unemployed for a minute. So why would he need the money, first of all? And where the hell did the money go? He didn't have a gambling problem. Uh, he, was a, he was a bigger drinker, just like a lot of people back then, so it wasn't anything that unusual or, or that expensive, for that matter. Certainly wasn't any kind of a drug addict that we know of. So it, it, make, it didn't make any sense just for the grounds of doing it. Why? So... It made no sense. It wasn't like he was trying to impress the parents. He already knew they hated him. And there was nothing he was going to be able to do about that. He became famous later on. And they still hated him. So it, it, nothing that was guys are ever going to do to make it any better. So just by all those facts alone, it, it cast a lot of doubt on whether, you know, he truly did that crime or not. Later on in his life, and we'll talk about that, um, it, it, it became abundantly clear after his wife has died and he went, you know, he got out of the prison and went on to more writing and everything. There's never been a, there's never been an issue with him getting in trouble. No tickets, no fights, nobody calling him a thief. Just went about writing. Even he even remarried was not successful. But again, so to me, it just doesn't make any sense. There's just so much doubt there. So that but he is one of the writers. Amongst a number of, uh, 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 in the history of mankind, uh, that literally had to spend some time in jail. Now, not like Martin Luther King, you know, who, who's only been, who was only in jail for like about a week or something, you know. Um, and of course, Vaco Havel was, he was in jail for over a year, 
and 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 there's been plenty of other writers that have been in jail for a lot longer you know um uh, the guy that wrote the uh, the 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 gulag uh archipiago um yeah he was in he was in the in, in the gulag for a, a number of years himself um so there's been a number of 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 writers that have been in, in jail for quite some time. So he definitely joins them among them, um, but unlike them who were in jail for political reasons, he was in jail because they, you know, they felt he actually committed a crime. It didn't seem to taint anything about him, and I always find it. And I understand people are complex, you know, but it always fascinated me that here's a man writing about humane things, things that are loving, things that are funny. You know, and, and he's getting accused of being a just a low life thief. You know, taking money from somebody who, who's willing to employ him. So it's it's an, an unusual conundrum. That that's for sure. Now, O. Henry, like many of his writers back in in his day, didn't really have a real pulse. On politics, he, he there's a lot of writers that didn't care about politics, believe it or not, and O'Henry was one of them. There's lots of things going on, and you don't really find very much of that. I mean, he's wrote about the old west in Texas and, and and cowboys doing things. He wrote about people in New York, uh, farm people, average people living in apartments. I mean, he just seemed to be interested in the way people lived and, and trying to find the the truth and the humor and the love and the stories out of that. But there's so much he could have did in the social realm of things. And he seemed to have a social message, but it wasn't the kind of social message that you'd be able to distill in some, some kind of political party or some kind of political idea or even even some kind of just political value. I mean, it, it just seemed like he only cared about this, the human spirit and the, and the values that we should all have in order to be able to make through uh, through hard times in life. And he seemed to know a lot about it, even though he didn't have that many hard times himself. I mean, yeah, his wife died. You know, his second marriage that he had later on, it, it, it failed. It didn't really work out very well. Um, he was known to be more of a loner later on, kind of more of a moody character, which is uh, strange because his stories were not sad and were not moody. They were always the opposite. So maybe like comedians, they can entertain us and help us with our lives to get us uh, to a happier place when they themselves, like the clown, you know, live uh, sad and, and desperate uh, lives behind the scenes in their own, you know, dark closet, as they say. It might be uh, the case for the, for the, for that man, uh, from what we're told. Now, uh, he didn't seem to suffer any kind of real depression or um, psychological problems. Uh, they said that oftentimes his melancholy probably had more to do with just... Uh, you know, uh, drinking. Nobody knows if he was officially an alcoholic or not, but later on in life, he, he was a much heavier drinker. He wound up dying from complications of drinking in, in an early age, uh, the age of 43. I know back in his day, it was normal uh, for a man to live that long, but um, certainly not normal now. But uh, drinking was, was a huge part of his life and, and probably the second half of it. But he was extremely productive, so uh, apparently he wasn't drunken all the time or something because, you know, he was able to release a, a number of, of collections that, that got published and, and, and did well for him. And 
even after he died, I think there was three more of them that still didn't get uh, published yet that they're still still putting together and, and have been slowly, uh, you know, com- coming out every, you know, five or six or seven years. You know, I know they're still going through his letters and, and incredibly enough, um, O. Henry, some of his better work was much later in his life than some of the early work, which he's much more famous for. Which is which is kind of ironic because it didn't come out so much later on, and then it's just more like the scholars and other people reading that more than the than the, the American public, because some of those first, you know, five or ten uh, stories that he came out with were just truly uh, astounding, and and I, I can't help but but love and of course share them with my own uh, my own children so they understand uh, something about him and what he had to do, and what he was thinking about as a writer. There wasn't a lot of people that was doing that kind of, that kind of work, the kind of work that. That said that, that people mattered, and that that they were not. Um, they were not toys for for the spiritual, the political forces of the planet to to play with, you know. They were not pawns in some gigantic, you know, cosmic chess game, you know. They were not just uh, disposable items to be thrown in in, in wars or. You know, chewed up uh, by some dictatorship, or you know, used by a, a, a government, or, or maybe just pushed around by a god, or or a goddess, but that they they mattered by themselves because they were human, and that mattered. It helps re- remind me, of course, of my own show, Strength and Me Human, and some of my own philosophy that that I created. You know, in, in in my essay, in my book, Strength to Be Human, and of course, in, in, in some of the things I continue to outline in this show, which I've talked about the entire year, that in the end, it's not about mocking science or ridicule and religion. It's about thinking for yourself. And we live right now in a day, you know, literally where we have a, we have a president in a peach and, and, and nobody can even tell you on any kind of intellectual basis what was that really about? It seems like the thinnest of reasons, more based on personality than, than, than principle. And, and this is the year 2019. So it's a, it's a pretty uh, pretty sad fact because, again, a lot of that is based on, instead of thinking, uh, parroting and, and mimicking, copying what somebody else has to say rather than looking into yourself. Doing things because it's easier to knock somebody over than, than to win an argument. If you don't like the guy, that's fine. How about you just beat him in an argument, please? How about you come up with a better idea than he has? This is the system we're supposed to have here. But unfortunately, I'm, I'm living in the day over here where it's all about uh, do you like the person or not? What the hell does that matter with anything? You know, if, if, if they're making a better society... Well, God knows if they're trying to make a better society. Leave them alone to do so. And if you don't agree in what they're doing, come up with some better ideas. Then you can get rid of them and put those better ideas in place. That's how things are supposed to be working. Those are the things that O. Henry believed in. He didn't believe in the politics and he believed in the, in the processes. He didn't believe in the spirits and he didn't believe in the propaganda. He only believed that two people who loved each other can figure out how to get out of any kind of jam. He believed in the in, in, in the value of work, even when it didn't always get you what you needed or wanted. 
that it still had value, that it still made you proud at the end of the day, that your hands dirty wasn't 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 some kind of declasse thing, but rather it was something to be respected, be something that 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 was almost noble, rather than inheriting a pile of money and you don't know what the hell to do with it because you don't know what the value of anything, just the price of everything. That's the kind of writing that we need to continue to have right here. It's what I want to continue to promote in people, interview people about and, and talk about, you know, uh, until my until my dying day. Because I think that that kind of talk, those kind of ideas will infuse ultimately a better writing for all of us. That we can all get back to trying to do that more. Maybe it'll help us in our own personal lives and how we deal with others, whether they're family members or loved ones. Maybe it will help us in our own personal politics because we don't have to agree with each other, but why can't we figure out ways to come up with ideas that maybe together can make a better world, can make a better society, can help each other become better, even when you don't agree on everything. Because oftentimes, when people don't agree on processes or principles, they might still agree on an end result about what they're trying to achieve. A world where... where where children don't have to die of uh, of diseases for no good reason, you know, in, in a world where people can't not going to be judged by what they look like, or, or what kind of clothing they're wearing, or you know, what kind of God they're praying to, where they come from, just what's in their hearts and what's in what's in their character, like like Martin Luther King told us, all about their character, and that's probably the best word. And the best term to describe O. Henry and, and the type of writings he did. It was about the character having character, using character to get through some of the harder things in life. To get through, through tough times when all that mattered in the end was, was character. And right now, we live in sad times where people don't want to use character. They, they think when tough times comes, the best thing to do you know, is beat somebody up because they sound different. Or they look different. Or their ideas are different. Let's beat them up. That's that's so much fun. Rather trying to understand where they're coming from. Put it against your own ideas. See if it makes any sense or not. Talk to them about it. Have a healthy debate about things. Don't suddenly assume that they're the enemy because they talk different. Or they have a different idea. That it makes no sense. That this makes us all paranoid. It makes all kinds of unnecessary enemies for what good reason? I don't know. I know we have listeners from around the world to this show. And please don't take this the wrong way. But America probably has more enemies than most of you folks do. We're the biggest target for all kinds of reasons. Uh, The biggest military. We often intervene the most. We do the most Good, and sometimes we do the most bad. Not intentionally, but nevertheless. So we ought to know more than everybody else, I feel, on how to figure out how to talk to people in, in a way that can help them at least understand where we're coming from, even if they don't agree. And we need to find that. We don't always have a leader or leaders that are helping us get there. And we need to look at those people and say, hey, if you're not helping us get there, then... We need to put somebody else that, that, that can. And, that, and that's fine. But we need to do that together. We can't do that in, a, in a, some other corner. Throwing snowballs and rocks at each other. Especially uh, uh, here uh, in America. Uh, us as, as Americans. 
We already got plenty of people around this world that they'd be happy to do that with us. So why help them? We should be more united rather than divided these days. And it's sad that we're, that we're not. And I know we have a world scratching his head going, what the hell is going on? It really is. It, it's, it's a sad thing. I think if whole Henry was here, I would hope he writes some more stories to help us, uh, you know, get a little happier, to, to get a little bit more of that faith back. Because we definitely, uh, we definitely need it today more than we've ever done, I don't know, probably 20 or 30 years, you know. I remember being in the Cold War in, in a jungle with people actually shooting at me in the Philippines. And I, and I felt more positive on that day than I feel in some of the days we've had here in 2019. That, that's how crappy things are becoming. I'd rather get shot out by people that, that at least uh, had a good reason to shoot at me versus the, the nonsense I've been listening to just in the, on the Facebook, let alone the, the stupid radio or, or the television. Some of the, the dumbest things that I've probably heard in, in my lifetime. How do you have a system of laws if no one's really using them? How do you have faith when our own leaders don't seem to have faith? And, and where, the, where, the, where is there God when our, our supposedly godly leaders want to weigh in one way or the other? Just stay out. We need to get back in and we need to do the right thing. And this is what we can do as writers, folks. And that's what O. Henry did. He made the world in many ways a better place and he continues to remind us in his writing where we could be going rather than where we're at right now. We could be going someplace better. We could write something more positive. We could be funny, especially when there's days when there's not. And there's days when we need to be funny, <laughs> when we know it's hard to be funny. There's days when we have to be hopeful, even when it doesn't look like we can find a lot of hope. But it's there. It's there. It's right around the corner. It's waiting for us. We just have to learn to embrace it and stop all the, the mindless negativity. Uh, there's no way to stop all negativity, and that's fine. I, I like to be realistic. I'm all right with that. You're going to get some here and there, but some of it is unnecessary because we generated ourselves, and we shouldn't be doing that. We should do what O. Henry did. Find the best in people. Bring it out so that the world can be better because that's the only way the world's going to be better. We help bring that out. I hope that's a good note for us to end this year with. Certainly want to start that year in, in 2020 that way. And I'm looking forward to a, a very interesting and exciting year on this show uh, with uh, some newer people. I want to be able to bring on some more people on the uh, on the music show that have written books about music. So we'll be able to talk about you know literary things and music at the same time, as well as some more musicians. I tell you, they're harder to come back for interviews than, than even the writers are. Because, you know, they're on tour, they're doing other things in the studio. and But I'm still looking forward to doing more of that as well. Of course, a, a lot more exciting episodes with uh, John Patrick Robbins and, and, and the Guest House uh, uh, edition. Uh, I hope you guys have been enjoying the new cover uh, art we've been doing with that and trying to change it around. I'm going to be getting some new um, intro and outros as well. And, of course, our new site, uh, strengthofhuman.com, it has been built. It's out there. So you'll be able to see that, advertising and, uh, and some of the uh, sponsors we're going to be having here. And, of course, it helps recap some of the shows. 
you could visit it and, and, and then maybe hit some links and you know listen to some certain shows or certain topics that you can go to right away so you don't have to look through the whole catalog you know for like 20 minutes and find something you'll have it more easily accessible right there on, on the on the internet site okay all right folks until uh next time god bless thank you for a wonderful and, and definitely uh informative year it informed me as much as I, i've helped try to inform you Tells me a little bit about my myself as well, and some of the things I still want to do in, in, in writing, and it's been wonderful. A hundred, a hundred episodes, and I'm looking forward to the next hundred. God bless until next year. Happy New Year. Thank you for listening. Please follow the show and visit our blog at strengthtobehuman.blogspot.com.